have your seat, please. Hello. me now? Okay. All right, guys, if you can have your seats. No more hugging. <laughs> I love this. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, I love that we're a hugging church. It's, uh, it's really a, a blessing to be here to, uh, to be able to, to preach and to bring uh, the Word of God. I think um, you know, we're just taking a li one little break here from uh, Tim's preaching. He's been going through the book of James. Um, and so uh, it's an excellent series. I think you've been blessed by it. And uh, I'm going to – sounds like Millie's painting, doesn't it? Oh, okay. We'll, we'll go. Yeah, I, on purpose we didn't announce that I was preaching because – I think uh, there'll be a lot of uh, empty seats here. Uh, people getting ready for the Super Bowl parties and stuff. Like that. <laughs> just like I wasn't available. Um, so I'm going to be uh, preaching today primarily from the Old Testament, and we're going to uh, connect it to the New Testament. But it's going to be a kind of a follow-on from what I spoke about a couple of months ago. And if you weren't here, I'm just going to give you some of the Old Testament back to what I was uh, preaching through. I had just gotten back from Ethiopia on a missions uh, trip with an organization I'm part of that, you know, we're training local church leaders to evangelize Muslims in the country. And so I tried to tie what, what we were doing just to, to the historical context of what the heck is Ethiopia? Um, how does it tie into the whole global mission that God actually set out in Genesis 1? So I tried to pull that together, but I'm going to just recap a little bit of what I said because I think it's it'll be a good backdrop to um, to what I'm going to speak about in the specific passage that we're going to teach here. Um, but I just I just want to let you know that I was like humbled this morning because I was reading in the Voice of the Martyrs uh, about this pastor in Vietnam who, like in Vietnam, it's closed to the gospel. Like literally, you're not allowed to preach. You got thrown in jail, beaten up, all this stuff. And so in this local community, I guess the local authorities said that you can't preach, but you can, if you guys want to pray, you can do that. You've got to close your eyes and pray, but don't preach. And so what this pastor um, decided to do was he was just going to preach with his eyes closed. <laughs> and, but, but like legit, like he's like, I'm going to do it. And then the people that came, came in, it's like, hey, you realize there's, there's government, government authorities here. Uh, he's like, okay. Um, whatever happens, happens. And so he preached with his eyes closed, intermixing prayer and scripture and the message. And 15 minutes later, he just finished, and they beat him up anyway. But it's just like, wow, um, look at us. We get to, you know, this fellow community across the street. I mean, we're so blessed here, you know, that we can gather as a family. And this is unique in the world. Like, it really is. So um, so let's go back to just – I'm going to zoom through the first, like, 11 chapters of Genesis, a quick overview of what I talked about that's going to lead into the story here. So we, know we are familiar with the accounts. And they become almost too familiar for us. But Genesis 1 through 3, God creates heavens and the earth. He creates man. 
man rebels against him, right? And so what did, what did God do? He rightly punished them for the rebellion against him. But that, re- but that punishment was mixed with love and with grace because right there in Genesis 3.15, he talked about the one that he would send that would come and crush the head of Satan. So he was already promising a redeemer at the very, very beginning. And we didn't, we didn't really understand too much about it if you just read 1 through 3. Okay, well, who is that? But somebody's going to come, right? But then the, so he gives the mandate to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so they are fruitful and they are multiplying and they are filling the earth with fruit. They're, they're filling the earth with evil. And man w- became continually wicked to the point where Jesus, I'm sorry, where God uh, decided to basically wipe man off the face of the earth. So Genesis 6 through 9 is the account of basically all the evil that comes in. God wipes man off the face of the earth except for eight people that are left, Noah and his family, right? His wife, his three sons, and their wives. And so from there, at the end of that account, God once again gives the same exact um, declaration to them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, it didn't happen. They were fruitful and they multiplied, but they didn't fill the earth. Then we get to Genesis 10 and 11. It's the account of the table of nations where God basically says, here's all the different 70 different nations that had basically sprung up, but they were all coalescing around the Tower of Babel. And it sounds like this really, okay, what is that, the Tower of Babel? So we talked about the Tower of Babel actually was a ziggurat. And a ziggurat is like an ancient temple. It's like pyramid-shaped structure. I'm going to show a couple pictures of these in a second. But basically, it was a place where they were trying to connect earth to heaven. They're building temples, trying to reach up to heaven, and they're actually trying to tap into demonic type of powers. And we read about a a lot of these in the Old Testament, you know, these different gods that they were worshiping, Baal and Marduk, you know, and Asherah. So, but basically, they're trying to, they're rebelling against God once again. And um, so God, what did he do? He scattered them. And so at the Tower of Babel, he completely confused their languages and he scattered them. And so those 70 nations, the table of nations that was in Genesis chapter 10, he scattered them uh, across, sorry, can I, yeah. Anyway, he scattered them geographically. And so these people started to multiply and then they basically extended into the different areas, not just in the ancient Near East, but then they just spread out. So like for, I talked about Ethiopia where I was, they were the Cushite people. And Cush was the son of Ham, who was the son of Noah, okay? So it kind of all tied together. It's like, okay, so God continues to pursue man, but then they rebel. And so, you know, the consequence here was basically scattering them as the way that he had originally intended was to basically have them fill the earth. So that's kind of the biblical historical backdrop to what I wanted to talk about. And so what I'm going to talk about today, continuing into the book of Genesis, is Jacob's Ladder. So we've heard of Jacob's Ladder. And the reason why, and and to be honest, how I came up with why I wanted to preach about this, uh, for the people that actually understand good music out there, um, (laughs) they they know that Neil, Neil Peart died a few weeks ago. He was the drummer of Rush and probably the greatest drummer of all time. I don't know. Nick, you can... You can maybe debate me or not, but I, he's, he's top three, right? And anyway, so um, there was an incredible amount of tributes that were going out, and there was uh, somebody posted on Twitter a video of Rush playing the song Jacob's Ladder, which you know the song, you know, he wrote all the lyrics. 
And, uh, you know, I was really, really struck by all the outpouring. And it's just the really, really tragic life he had. He lost his wife, his daughter. I mean, it's pretty tragic. But anyway, that was in my mind. And I'm in the Word, just in my, in my devotions, and I get to... Uh, get to the account that we're going to read about a little bit later in John chapter 1, and that refers to Jacob's Ladder. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. So I decided to go deep, and it really blessed me, so I'm just selfish here, and I'm hoping that was going to bless the congregation as well. And so so that's how I I decided to preach on this this topic. And so I was like, okay, well, how does that tie into the whole biblical narrative? We read about this thing, Jacob's Ladder, and if you went to Sunday school, you almost had like this flannel graph kind of picture of Jacob's ladder, and I always thought about this like step ladder, like that you'd get at, at uh, you know, at Osh or something like that, and, and these angels going up and down in it, but it's just kind of like hanging out there and didn't really have any grounding on it. Like, what this thing, what's this thing about? So, um, and we can read different accounts in Scripture isolated from the context and really not get the true meaning of what's going on. So, in light of that. Um, before I read the account of Jacob's Ladder, which is in Genesis 28, who is Jacob? Okay, so what do we know about him? So Jacob, we know he's eventually called Israel, but let's go back. Jacob's father was Isaac, Jacob, and Isaac's father was Abraham. Okay, so Jacob is Ab- Abraham's grandson. So what do we know about Abraham? Okay, let's go back and... We just finished with Genesis chapter 11 before. Genesis chapter 12, God calls this guy Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. This Ur is just a, an area, right? And he calls him to worship him. So Abraham is just a pagan like all the other people that were in that area. And he calls him out to worship him alone, okay? So very, very pagan context. He called him out from and said, go to a place I'm going to, a distance from your land I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. And then the promise is further ratified three chapters later in Genesis 15, which is basically that he's, gonna, uh, he's going to bless all the nations of the world through him. So in other words, through him, all the nations of the, of the earth will be blessed. Okay? So he calls this guy Abram out, and he's like, you know what? That promise I made to, to Eve, now we're getting a little bit more precision on what's, who is this? There's actually going to be a person through some family line going to be the line of Abraham. So it's not just Abraham's family is going to be blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we get a little bit more information. Like, wow, okay, so something more cosmic is going on than just saving Abraham and his family. Okay? And so what do we know about Jacob now? Uh, right before we read this passage, Jacob is a rascal. He's the son of Isaac. He's a uh, kind of mixed character. Uh, one of the first things we read about is Jacob and Esau, his older brother, um, that account where Jacob steals the birthright from Esau. The term is primogeniture, but basically it is the firstborn son is the one that gets the inheritance. Well, he tricked his father Isaac, and he got the inheritance. And um, so obviously Esau's livid, and Rebecca, Jacob and Esau's mom's like, you got to get out of here. And so, and she was actually kind of a co-conspirator in this. So Jacob, at her uh, direction, basically a recommendation, he flees, okay? So that's where we're going to pick up. He flees to Haran, okay? And he goes to go live with his uncle Laban, okay? So let's pull up the first slide, and we're going to read Genesis 28. And this is where the context of this story about Jacob's ladder comes. So 
sorry about the kind of the small font, but I'll read it. So it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Okay, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, I'm, st- I'm going to stop there for a second. Think about it. He's running away from home. He thinks his brother might kill him. And so this is probably not like a restful sleep. He, put, he gets a pillow, a rock for a pillow, puts his head down. And God, and so I, I don't think I would have slept very well. So and, and just think about his emotional state, right? And so, you know, I, get, I don't sleep very well if different things are going on in my life. And you can imagine this is pretty, pretty serious. So he said, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway reach, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Okay, so it's sort of this stairway, angels ascending and descending. There above it, above the stairway, stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Next line, uh, key. All all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. An exact echo of what he promised Abraham. Okay, about 13 chapters earlier, right? Um, I I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he's reiterating this, this promise. And now what's interesting about what's happening here, if you look deeply, this is a very, very similar thing to what happened when God made the promise to uh, Abraham. Okay? If you remember in Genesis 15, he gives him this promise, and he puts Abraham to sleep. And he makes a covenant with Abraham, a one-way covenant. He's sleeping. This is not something he's agreeing to. It's something that God is saying, I'm going to do. It's a one-way covenant. He's just going to... Ins- He's going to insist upon it being thought and seen through, right? It's this monergistic covenant, a little um, bit technical term, right? So that happened in Abraham's sleep. Now, Jacob, he's asleep, and God gives the same promise. I'm going to bless the nations of the earth through you. So he hasn't forgotten this promise that he made, not only to Abraham, but also to Eve, with a little bit less illumination, actually, what is this thing that's going to happen. So when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So the gate of heaven is kind of a term that is used when they, these, uh, the, in the ancient Near East context. These ziggurats were supposed to be like the gate of heaven. They're the things that brought heaven down to earth. This, this is like where God, God dwells, right? Um, so early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So Bethel just means house of God, kind of like Bethlehem means house of bread, right? That's just this house. Okay. So the curious thing about some of our older translations, they translate this staircase as ladder. And that's just a wrong interpretation. It's staircase. And so why does that even matter, right? So remember that the ziggurat that we talked about in the Tower of Babel? It's, you know, it's this pyramid-kind of shaped structure. Once again, it's an attempt by man to bring the gods down to kind of channel the, like the demonic power of, of the, the, the false gods. Well, the ziggurat was a temple. And so the demonic activity that w- they were trying to tap into really was a reflection of rebellion against God. And 
really why God scattered the people. Remember, it's like, well, they'll be able to do anything that they set their hearts to. So basically, he was, it was demonic worship that was happening. And so um, a lot of people think that the Tower of Babel was the ziggurat um, uh, for the demonic god Marduk. And so it's just so in a lot of the things that Mary's in the literature, but it's also in Jeremiah 51, it refers to Marduk. So like there's some serious stuff going on there that a circu- superficial reading of the text wouldn't like, like give you that kind of insight. Like, wow, so this is big, big stuff that's happening, right? So the imagery that's given here is really a, a staircase inside of a ziggurat. So if you can go to the next slide, we know what these things look like. Um, this is, this, there's some still in existence today. So this one's in Iran, the ziggurat of Kilgasandil. And it's kind of, it's in ruins. So you can see it's kind of like this pyramidic structure. And you can see people on the top of it kind of climbing around, right? So there was a staircase there, but eh, okay. Go to the next one. So this is the ziggurat of Ur. This is a real picture. Can you see that? It's kind of a staircase. So the people, in an attempt to go connect with the, hev- the heavens, right, the cosmic powers, would descend, ascend the staircase, the priests of Marduk, the priests of Baal, right, on behalf of the people. The next slide will make it even more clear. So this is Iraqi, this is in Iraq, this is U.S. soldiers after the Iraq war getting on a, like a cultural tour. So that's the imagery that we're talking about here. Not this, stair- this ladder floating in the sky, it's like this temple that you're ascending to try to get to God, right? And so, pretty wild. Um, and so, when, but when we look at the account in Genesis 28, when, uh, if you go to the next slide, let's go back to the text, you can see that in the dream he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its copy from heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending, and above it stood the Lord and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. So God himself shows up and sends angels to earth, ascending and descending. So it's God is the one that's showing up. It's not man in his effort that's showing up to try to build something with God. God's the one that's making the promise. He's showing up, and he's giving the promise to Jacob. Not because of anything that he did. Remember, this is on the heels of him running away because he's a scoundrel, and he <laughs> you know, cheated his brother. So it's not like he's this great guy, and God's like rewarding him for his good efforts. Right? This is a promise that God by his own will, is making to his, to his um, chosen line through Abraham all the way through Jacob. Okay? So, so think about that divine initiative, which is so, so unique that um, God himself made. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And once again, the promise here is all nations of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. Okay? So let's now fast forward to the book of John. How do these things connect together for the New, new Covenant Church or New Testament? Okay, go to the next slide. Okay. So John chapter 1, okay, so remember everything we just talked about. John chapter 1, at the very, very beginning, they call the prologue, is where John's setting out the context for, the, for his um, gospel he's, he's writing. And the first three verses is this, like, it busts onto the scene of Greek thought, which is, which is really the context of, like, wait a minute, so in the beginning was the word, and this, the word is the term logos, and in Greek thought, logos was like the all-encompassing logic that holds the universe together. Like it makes unity and diversity come together. It's like the ultimate quintessence. Like it's, it's like in the, in the world of Greek thought, it's like the logos is really what they're striving for to really understand. And so in John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, 
and the word was God. Whoa. Okay, so he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So we, like, right in the beginning, we see the Trinity. We see the word was with God. The word was God. And this word was the creator of all things. Amazing, right? And then we fast forward to verse 14. It's like my favorite verse in the Bible. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And once again, in that Greek context, wait, the what? The logos? The word became flesh? Because they thought of things that were fleshly as being like sub and spiritual. The spiritual was what they were trying to atone for. And so, and so John's saying, so the, you know, he's basically dignifying the word who was with God, but was, was God himself. How all that works. <laughs> and then he actually became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It's like, wow. Okay. So that's quite a statement. So how does it tie to what we were talking about earlier? So we read a little bit further down in the chapter, and once again, like it's one of these, com- these little stories within like the New Testament that if we read it in isolation, like, okay, what, what's that have to do with anything, right? Um, let's go to, uh, let's go down to the next slide. It's John 1, 43 to 51. So before we read this, remember the context, John, this is his first chapter, he's already established Jesus' divinity, right? He is God himself, that he said, come in the flesh and we beheld his glory. So let's, let's read this. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And interesting, Beth is once again house. It's a house of hunting or fishing. Okay. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And so obviously Nathanael heard him say that. He says, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Like, so something tricked, like, wait a minute, you know something about me. You're not supposed to know me because I never met you, right? Um, but Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's what I was reading. And I, when it struck me, I'm like, wow, this, this is Jacob's ladder, Jacob's staircase, right? Um, so when Jesus says that the angels of God will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man, what is he saying? That he is Jacob's staircase. He is the one that's bridging heaven to earth, right? In himself. Um, so he's the ultimate f- uh, f- fulfillment. He's fully God and fully man. He's able to do that. There's no need for temples to try to be built to try to reach up to God. God himself descends down on his own self, on his own staircase that he's made uh, connecting to the earth, right? a fascinating parallel and a fulfillment of the promise that he made at the very, very beginning of the Old Testament. He promised Eve he was going to be sending somebody, right? He promised Abraham he was going to be blessing the, all the nations of the earth through his line. He reiterates that promise to Jacob and he continues in, in the Old Testament to get more and more precision in the prophets of like, who is this person that's going to come? We get a precision even to the place he was going to be born in, in um, uh, Micah. Chapter 5, verse 2, about he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So 
you get all this continual precision that ends up in the person of Jesus. And just so you're not kind of confused on that term, the son of man, right? He's, you know, he says you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. That's actually Jesus' favorite term that he uses for himself. He, he refers to himself as the son of man more than any other. And it's not because he's trying to emphasize his humanity. What he's doing is he's actually pointing back to Daniel chapter 7 with all of the, pro- all of the people that were learned in, the, in the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures would have known. Let's go to the next slide and talk about who's the son of man. <coughs> Daniel 7. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. So the Son of Man is different than the Ancient of Days, okay? But he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. All nations, not just the, the Hebrew nation, right? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So he's talking about this dominion and his authority and rule that is forever and ever. This is not just some man. This is the son of man. And so you remember when um, remember that when Jesus was on trial and they said, who are you? And, and, and you know, are you the Messiah? And he said, you said it. And you'll, s- uh, you'll see, um, basically you'll see the uh, son of man come with the clouds of glory. Basically he's referring back to Daniel chapter 7 and they're like, flash. I mean, because they knew that this was, uh, this was basically a claim to divinity. So, and we know that only God receives worship. Man does not receive worship. Only God is worthy of receiving worship. So Daniel chapter 7, the son of man is who Jesus was referring to when he's talking about the angels ascending and descending on the son of man. He's talking about himself. But he is the fulfillment of all the, all the prophecies. And so the, the question is, why does all this matter? Right, so you know, it's, is it just an interesting theological, you know, kind of plumbing of the depths of the Old Testament, as it, uh, as it is then confirmed the New Testament? No, it's a lot. It's really a lot more than that. The point is that we're all guilty, right? And man's religion is no different today than it was in the Old Testament, where we see people trying to build temples to go and try to, you know, to achieve godhood or to tap into that kind of divinity, right? People, people want that, but they know that they're guilty, so there's got to be some way that you can kind of earn your way to get to God, right? Or get to the gods. And so it's by either building temples, constructing systems of works, effort, sacrifice, offerings, a bunch of trying and doing, and it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. But that's not, in God's economy, that's not the way it works. The beauty of the gospel is that God came down gave the gift of himself and it, wa- it wasn't through any work just like Jacob wasn't worthy to get this incredible promise made to him it was God doing the acting and so it was God and his grace that was acting from the very beginning of the Old Testament un- until today right so he's the one that builds the bridge for man and he's the one that decided to enter into our into our destiny and so it's Jesus and so the question is what do we do with that so since we have a God that decided to descend to us, do we try to work hard so we can earn his favor? Completely misses the point. What we should do is receive that beautiful gift in humility and reverence and gratitude and respond 
respond with grace, basically respond with obedience to what he has commanded us to do, to basically take this message and to spread it to the kingdom, you know, all the different kings of the earth, so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the the appropriate response, not to try to, like, whip it up and then just feel, like, guilty as a saint again. It's like, God made that, right? Like, he's the one that satisfied all of that, all of that stuff, right? So I thought it was a fitting quote. I found this. Can we go to the next slide? Um, about God entering into our world. It says, so completely was Jesus bent upon saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself, he created the tree upon which he was to die. So he's the creator. He created that tree knowing he was going to die on it. And he nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to the accursed wood. <laughs> right? God came down, and, and he loved us enough in order to go through that. He knew what he was going to go through. And so I just, I just pray that we'd be um, truly... I guess, humble in our response and to receive it with grace and to then share that message because I think that's really what it's all about. So I want to just pray and then we'll uh, hand it back over to Tim for the uh, next communion. So Father God, I just want us to thank you once again for the privilege of being able to gather with the people of God. It's, uh, we're, we're part of that long line that started from even the Old Testament, the peoples of God that were blessed. We're blessed through the one that was going to be sent in the line of Abraham, the line of Jacob, the line of David, and God came and became man for us, Lord. And so not only that, he decided to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. And so I just pray that we would receive that with with humility and gratitude and that we would respond in faithfulness and in thanksgiving and in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name. week we take a few moments to respond to the word of God and we respond through uh, our worship of God and ascribing his worth and greatness after hearing uh, who he is and what he's done.